you're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. What is Church of Christ? What do they believe? What sets them apart from other denominations of Christianity? And how do you deal with an extremist who hates you for who you are? We'll touch on Church of Christ beliefs and the history in a little bit. Brenda Francis settled into the Kingdom Hall in Calhoun, Georgia, in mid-March, surrounded by dozens of familiar faces. Signs cautioning against shaking hands and hugging were posted around the room. It felt weird to her, but was certainly understandable with the threat of an outbreak looming. She had already stocked up on some masks and gloves. We're going to take a look inside the life of a Jehovah's Witness who's living through the pandemic and see what kinds of precautions the religion is taking on a local level. For the second time in two days, police have charged a pastor with defying public orders against large gatherings by holding church services with hundreds of members. And despite the charge, he says the church doors will stay open. The church saw a dramatic drop in attendance, but according to police, 130 Christians still went to the recent church service. Televangelist Pat Robertson recently said that the world was not created in six 24-hour days, and it stirred up some drama with Ken Ham. He went on a Twitter rampage over it, but there was complete radio silence from Ken Ham when Robertson tried to blame gays, abortion, and people who are quote-unquote anti-Israel for the coronavirus. We're going to take a look at Ken Ham's tweet storm and Pat Robertson's absurd claims about what caused the pandemic. You can call in and leave a voicemail. The number is 1-800-701-8573. That's 1-800-701-8573. Hey, this is Owen. If you're comfortable, leave your first name and state at the sound of the tiny truck backing up. Hey, Telltale. It's Clark from Washington. A good friend of mine recently deconverted from a very controlling religion, but he still wants to live under a lot of the tenets of that religion, and I was wondering how you'd recommend I go about gently nudging him more towards being free from it. Thank you. That's an interesting situation. So this friend of yours converted out of a very controlling religion, but still wants to live under the tenets of that religion. So here's my guess about the situation. It seems to me that it's possible maybe they were kicked out of the religion. It was near my 18th birthday when I was disfellowshipped. I don't remember the exact day and time when it happened, so generally I just say it was on my 18th birthday because that's when I was kicked out of my house anyways. But 18 years old, I basically left the religion, but I still believed it for like two years after that. It was a really long time, and I was doing everything that I could to kind of try to live the life that Jehovah's Witnesses expected me to live, even though I wasn't really a part of the religion anymore anyways. I got married to somebody so that I wasn't living in sin. I didn't drink. I didn't really smoke. I did. There was a period of time in my life where I was outside the religion, but still perfectly in line with their expectations. So, based on what you told me here... I would guess that your friend was probably unwillingly removed from the religion and wishes that they were on the inside or still believes it to some extent. 
I would suggest what you do is lightly, non-confrontationally try to nudge them over a little bit. Just ask them non-confrontational questions and phrase them in such a way that it makes them feel like you're in it together. So use the words we and let's figure this out together. Ask them questions about their religion and start off from a position of, I want to know what you believe and why you believe it. Let's figure this out. Let them explain the ideas. Let them explain the positions and then lightly poke holes in it. Just ask non-confrontational questions about it. Like, that's interesting. It's an interesting point. So what if this happens or what if that happens and just poke little holes in, in the belief system? The idea behind street epistemology, which is kind of what I'm referencing here, is you want to establish the person's belief. You want to know what it is that they believe so that you're on the same page. You may know what they believe, but when you go into the conversation, ask them so that you understand in very specific terms what they think and how they feel and what they believe so that you're on the same page. So start out with the what and then Ask them why they believe it. What, why, and then how can we know that it's true? How can we test it? You got a Jehovah's Witness will come in and say, I believe that Jehovah is God's real name. And then you say, well, why do you believe that? Give me information. Because if you're right, then I want to be right about this too. Let's figure this out together. Non-confrontational. And they'll tell you, well, in the... Bible, the Tetragrammaton has been replaced with Lord, blah, blah, blah. And then you say, well, how can we, the how question now, how can we be sure that this is the case? How can we find out if this is true or not? That's kind of the process that you go through. Non-confrontational, you're in it together. That's the kind of thing that I would suggest. Hi, this is Adam from Connecticut. And my Christian mother just found out that I am a Satanist. So if you have any advice on how to keep things safe and civil, that would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. That's a good question. Um, I touched on this a minute ago. Generally trying to be non-confrontational and make people feel like you're in it together. Those are the two really key things here. You want to make sure that they feel that you're willing to hear them out and listen to what they have to say. Christians are always looking for a reason to explain what they believe and why they believe it. So let your mom explain it to you and walk through it step by step with her and have an open conversation about it. Uh, One that's not charged with anger or hate or rage. Try to find middle ground where you guys can meet meet and calmly discuss things. If that's not possible, if it's not possible to calmly discuss things with her, you may just have to avoid the subject completely. But good luck with it, because I know that 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 is a very touchy situation that you're in. So hopefully you come out okay. Hi, my name is Eng. I'm from North Carolina. I was just wondering if you have any tips on how to I guess deprogram a religious extremist from extremely anti-LGBT belief. My girlfriend's mother is extremely religious, Church of Christ, and she's not exactly supportive. Yeah, I imagine. I imagine that that's the case. I, I bet she's not supportive. 
So what I wanted to do is take a glance at the Church of Christ to start with, and we'll go from there. Uh, this caller's question was how you go about deprogramming a religious extremist, and I detailed that a little bit earlier in the podcast. So if you are unsure about how to go about doing that, then check back a little bit earlier in the podcast. Check another clip that just released because I did I did explain it a few minutes ago. So keep a lookout for that. But as far as the Church of Christ goes, I wanted to look at the general history of the denomination, quote unquote. People who were in Church of Christ probably cringed at my use of that word just now, denomination. Because one of the things that Church of that sets Church of Christ apart from other groups, other religious groups, is the idea that they are quote unquote non-denominational. That's what they call themselves, non-denominational. The churches are are separated into completely independent cells. They're they are unconnected from each other and there is no overarching organization that calls the shots, like with the Methodist Church. You've got the uh, Methodist Conference. Like with the Mormon Church, they have prophets and things over districts. Uh, like Jehovah's Witnesses, they have an organizational structure that goes all the way up to the governing body. That's not how it works with Church of Christ. Church of Christ churches are largely separated from each other, and the leadership goes as high as the church elders. That's it. That's one of the main things that sets Church of Christ apart from other religious groups. They're from a branch of Christianity called evangelicalism. You guys have probably heard the term evangelical because it's considered to be its own voting block, and... It's a very extreme branch of Christianity. So you've got a number of different religious groups that fall under the evangelical umbrella, including but not limited to Pentecostals and Church of Christ. And some versions of Presbyterian fall under this umbrella. They have a lot of beliefs in common with each other, uh, but there are actually a lot of differences one of the things that you'll note with the evangelical umbrella is the idea that there are giant, basically, organizations that can work independently of any churches, but provide teaching materials for those churches that they can all commonly use. They also have conferences every year. There's one conference called Dare to Share, where they get all these tens of thousands of people in a conference center, in a convention center. And they will get them all riled up and whipped up into a blood frenzy over Jesus. I know a lot of people in my audience have actually gone to Dare to Share conferences, and they're very, very extreme. They can be very extreme. This is the type of group that will pass out chick tracts. They'll print and pass them out. They'll print and pass out various different types of Christian materials like that. So that's the evangelical umbrella. Now, as far as Church of Christ goes, it differs from other evangelical groups 
with a few key things. Like I said, it largely depends on the church because all of the Church of Christ churches are different from each other, but the vast majority of Church of Christ churches differ from others in the sense that they don't use musical instruments in worship. And this is a rule that goes back to like the 1800s. There was some Bible verse, I don't remember exactly what it's about, but there was some Bible verse that kind of a little bit implies that maybe some group in the Bible decided not to use trumpets when they were worshiping, and Church of Christ just ran with that since the 1800s and now uses that as one of their core teachings. You just don't use musical instruments in worship. And some of them go even further and don't use musical instruments at all. They will use their voices to sing praises, but they even have their own special version of musical notes. They're called shape notes. And it's basically just like normal musical notes, but it's for laymen who don't really know how to read music. So they'll have these songbooks with shape notes, which pretty much gives you like four to six different pitches that you need to use when you're singing. So even little kids can say, oh, that's a diamond. Oh, that's a square. I know what pitch I need to use. The men and the women use different octaves when they're singing. Um, so the men will sing a certain pitch with certain shape notes, and the women will sing a certain pitch with certain shape notes. Those are the key differences, really, between Church of Christ and other evangelical denominations. Um, but there are other differences. Like I said, they call themselves non-denominational, so it's really impossible to define Church of Christ as a monolith, but a lot of Churches of Christ are very extremely anti-gay and extreme, just extremely anti-LGBT more generally. They are bigoted, some of them are racists, some of them, a lot of them are sexist. It can get really, really ugly generally. These are your standard extremist evangelicals. That's the kind of people we're talking about. And that's why the caller called in and said they're not sure how to deal with an extremely anti-LGBT person in their life. That is basically what the Church of Christ has to offer, for the most part. Very bigoted, sexist, racist people, generally speaking, uh, sadly. Not all of them. Absolutely not all of them. But it's, the, it's a trend that you find running through the religion, sadly. So, anyway... That's a little bit about the history on the Church of Christ. I really appreciate you giving me a call. It was a very interesting subject to cover. Uh, and I, I have covered this in more depth on my main channel before, so maybe give that a look. And maybe I'll cover it again on my main channel in the future at some point. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we're going to be taking an inside look at a Jehovah's Witness living through the pandemic inside the church. So give us 30 seconds and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. 
So the first article I wanted to take a look at here is entitled, People Would Be So Receptive Right Now and We Can't Knock on Doors. This is on New York Times, and it's the story of a Jehovah's Witness on the inside of the religion and what's happening right now and the changes that she sees taking place. This is by Dion Searcy, New York Times. Let's give it a read and see what it says. Brenda Francis settled into the Kingdom Hall in Calhoun, Georgia, in mid-March, surrounded by dozens of familiar faces. Signs cautioning against shaking hands and hugging were posted around the room. It felt weird to her, but was certainly understandable with the threat of an outbreak looming. She herself had already stocked up on some masks and gloves. God, this is worded really strangely. When it came time for members to comment on the Bible readings, Miss Francis noticed the microphones typically passed around the room were now attached to the end of long poles. That may actually... Uh, a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses congregations have been doing that. They've been switching over to... So, all right, I've explained this in videos before. Let me just kind of give a brief overview of how this operates. Jehovah's Witnesses, as we all know, produce these materials like the, the Watchtower and the Awake magazines and everything, right? And, and they produce all kinds of other books and stuff. Well, in these magazines and in these books, they have these paragraphs. And at the end of the paragraph, you have a question. So you're supposed to read the paragraph and then read the question, and then you underline the answer in the paragraph. When they do it at their meetings, like in public, what they'll do is they'll have somebody on stage read the paragraph. Then the book study conductor, or the study conductor, will ask the question that's at the end of the paragraph. People in the audience will raise their hands. He will pick on one of them, preferably young children, because, you know, the younger you can indoctrinate, the better. And somebody will carry the microphone over to the person who had their hand raised, hand them the microphone, they'll read the answer from the book, or sometimes they'll reword it to kind of give a personal experience, a short 30-second personal experience that relates to the answer in some way. So they've been doing it this way for like a really, really long time. But I've noticed that since I left in the past 10 years, they have switched to using like long microphones that the mic handler just kind of lays across the crowd for you to just speak into. So you don't have to hold the mic or anything. That's been going on for a while. When I was going to meetings, it wasn't like that. They actually passed around a microphone. They would pass it down the line. And I was like super honored to like pass the mic down to the next person. Like, oh, microphone, how cool is this? It's been changing like for a long time. This change that this person is noting is, is not new. It may have been new for her congregation. And maybe they did change it for her congregation specifically because of the virus situation. But uh, yeah, they've been moving in this direction for a while. Let's continue reading this. That was the moment Miss Francis, a 69-year-old widow living in a small, semi-rural community in the South, realized just how dramatically the coronavirus pandemic was about to reshape her spiritual life more than anything ever had in the 47 years since she was baptized as a Jehovah's Witness. A few days after the boom mics came out to the Kingdom Hall, word came down from the group's headquarters that... In the interest of safety, Jehovah's Witnesses should stop witnessing 
It's practice of in-person attempts at converting people to the group. That's actually really, really interesting that they ordered them to stop witnessing. And witnessing means they're supposed to stop knocking on doors, basically. Extremely fascinating change. People would be so receptive right now, she said of her ministry. And we can't knock on doors. Yeah, that's right. You can't knock on doors. That's a bad idea. For your safety, don't do it. I'm honestly really glad Jehovah's Witnesses, as a, like the, the religion, the leadership, told their people to take this seriously and not knock on doors. I'm glad that they're taking this seriously. Really, really glad about that. I don't want people to die from this, and I don't want them to be super spreaders either. It's really concerning for their safety, for everyone's safety. Across America, most religious groups have stopped coming together in large numbers to pray and hold services in keeping with stay-at-home orders. They have improvised with online preaching and even drive-in services held as parishioners sit in cars. Mormons have stopped going door-to-door in the U.S. and called home many missionaries working abroad. That's good news. I'm really glad to hear that, too. Jehovah's Witnesses, with 1.3 million members in the U.S. who hand out brochures on sidewalks and subway platforms and ring doorbells, are one of the most visible religious groups in the nation. Most visible? I'm not sure what that means. If you mean they're one of the most mocked for being cult members and having no idea, I would give you that one, maybe. Um, And 1.3 million members in the U.S., I don't know if that number is correct. They have 8.5 million worldwide. No need to wonder. I just loaded up my question gun. Let's go answer hunting. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so the U.S. population at this moment is 329 million. The United States has 1.2 million publishers, like Jehovah's Witness publishers. And supposed memorial attendance was 2.4 million in the U.S. So let me just give you a a brief explanation of what a publisher is. You can be a baptized publisher or an unbaptized publisher. Basically, it means you're allowed to go knocking on doors. They'll write up a publisher's card for you, and they will allow you to go out in car groups with other Jehovah's Witnesses and preach the good word, so on and so forth. The first step in the religion is becoming an unbaptized publisher. I remember, I think I was like eight years old when I became an unbaptized publisher, or somewhere in there, maybe nine. And then I was around 14 when I got baptized, I think. So they have 1.2 million publishers, baptized or unbaptized, just people who are allowed to knock on doors for the religion. And then they have 2.4 million memorial attendants, So the memorial is basically like their Easter, pretty much. And they pass around bread and wine that night after the sun sets. And uh, there's a whole big special ritual to it. But generally speaking, it, it is kind of a religious holiday for Jehovah's Witnesses. So they will invite as many people as they possibly can to come to the memorial. It's basically their count for how many people are even a little bit interested in the religion, even a little bit. As many family members as you can get, as many return visits, as many people as you can bring, bring them. That's the idea. It's a huge push every year. They want to get these memorial tracts pushed out to every door in the country before the memorial takes place. So... 
this past year, they didn't really have a public memorial, surprisingly. They told people to observe the memorial at home. I was so blown away when I heard that that's what they were doing. I think some areas met with their book study groups. I think it depended on the country and the area of the country and so on and so forth, whether they actually met or not. But a lot of people observed it at home. I could not believe it. This is a serious religious holiday. Like, not observing the memorial as a Jehovah's Witness is, like, as bad as committing a serious, grievous sin in their eyes because it was a command by Jesus that you're supposed to do this. Fascinating that they changed their mind on that at the last moment for this year because of the pandemic that was taking place. Anyway, the point here is memorial attendance in the U.S. is 2.4 million. Publisher is 1.2 million. So I don't know where this person got this number of 1.3 million Jehovah's Witnesses in the U.S. 1.3 million publishers now, maybe. Uh, that's not baptized Jehovah's Witnesses, though. Anyway, let's continue reading. With 1.3 million members in the U.S. who hand out brochures on sidewalks and subway platforms and ring doorbells are one of the most visible religious groups in the nation. Members are called on to share scriptures in person with non-members, warning of an imminent Armageddon and hoping to baptize them with the prospect of living forever. Yeah, I guess that's a fair assessment of it. The decision to stop their ministries was the first of its kind in the nearly 150 years the group has existed. It followed anguished discussions at Watchtower headquarters, with leaders deciding March 20th that knocking on doors would leave the impression that members were disregarding the safety of those they hoped to convert. Oh, okay, so wait a minute. This is about public appearance? Not about the safety and health of their members or of the people they're talking to. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Um, that, that, that honestly wouldn't surprise me, though. That Jehovah's Witness governing body and Jehovah's Witness membership more generally are very conscious of appearances. It, appearances are very, very important to them. This is not an easy decision for anybody, said Robert Hendricks, the group's U.S. spokesman. As you know... Our ministry is our life. Yeah, that's an understatement. It was for Miss Francis, who became a Jehovah's Witness when she was in her 20s with a newborn, and a member knocked on her door in Tennessee and convinced her to attend a Kingdom Home meeting. She converted. Her family was angry that she no longer came to holiday gatherings. The group doesn't believe in celebrating holidays or birthdays. Jehovah's Witnesses became her new family. Yeah, that's a pretty good assessment. Uh, you leave your family behind and become a member of this cult in the truest sense. I can't blame her family for being upset that they're basically ripping her away from her, her family like that. It's extremely sad when this kind of thing happens. The more she studied the Bible, the more she came to believe it led to eternal life. She needed to spread the word. Showing up cold on someone's doorstep didn't come naturally. She was so shy that once she recalled her high school principal, this huge Goliath guy stood on her foot in a crowded hallway and she didn't say a word, but waited in pain for him to move. She had considered a career going door to door as a mason shoes saleswoman, but after receiving a catalog, she never mustered the courage to even try to make a sale. That's me pretty much. I am so bad in 
like public situations, it's the most stressful thing for me. I can't stand it. I just cannot stand having to like, I, I don't understand public interactions. I don't understand like face-to-face interactions at all. It's very, very difficult for me to do, to interact with people. I mean, I was isolated for a good portion of my childhood from society. Isolated for like three to four years of my life, formative years, like not around another human being except for my two parents who had bipolar disorder, both of them. And as a result of that, it's so difficult for me to interact with people on a like a one-on-one basis. It's so difficult for me to go to a party or, or anything go out to dinner with people, it's really difficult. And, and it's something that I've struggled with basically my whole life. And part of my personality that I've tried so hard to fix, basically. When we come back, we're going to be talking about a pastor who defied public orders against large gatherings to hold his church service anyways. So give us 30 seconds and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. So the next article I wanted to take a look at is actually by CNN. The title is Second Pastor Charged with Violating Public Orders Says Church Doors Will Still Be Open on Sunday. So let's give this article a read and see what it says. This is by Daniel Burke. For the second time in two days, police have charged a pastor with defying public orders against large gatherings by holding church services with hundreds of members. And despite the charge, he says the church doors will still be open Sunday. Of course, this is the best way to inspire a persecution complex in somebody. Generally speaking, persecution is a good thing within the framework of this ideology that this pastor holds and the adherence to the ideology hold. Persecution is a good thing. They want to feel persecuted because it validates their belief system. It, it shows them that what they believe is true and real and is coming true when they're attacked or quote-unquote attacked in their view. So this, what this pastor is doing is basically setting himself up and his members up to be persecuted, which reinforces their beliefs. There's really no good way to get around this because they tend to set up situations in which they will be persecuted. They still have to follow the law, bottom line. Everybody has to follow the law. Whether persecution inspires you to do more stupid shit or not, you still have to follow the law. And we still have to protect society, so... I don't disagree with the 
orders laid down by the police and the governor and everything. I think it was the right call for them to do what they did by banning church services and things like that. Let's continue reading the article and see what else it says. On Tuesday, police in suburban Baton Rouge, Louisiana, issued Pastor Tony Spell of Life Tabernacle Church a misdemeanor summons for six counts of violating the governor's executive order, barring large gatherings. Fantastic. Instead of showing the strength and resilience of our community during this difficult time, Mr. Spell has chosen to embarrass us for his own self-promotion, said Central Police Chief Roger Corcoran Tuesday in a statement. Mr. Spell will have his day in court where he will be held responsible for his reckless and irresponsible decisions that endangered the health of his congregation and our community, Corcoran added. Spell told CNN that opening the church is no more risk than the hundreds of people shopping at stores. When asked why he will not follow the governor's mandate, he said, We have a mandate from the word of the Lord to assemble together. The First Amendment says that Congress shall make no law prohibiting the exercise of religion. This is an extremely unique situation that we're in right now, where my right to life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness comes before your rights, full stop. Your right to life comes before my rights to anything else, full stop. I don't have the right to put your life in danger against your will. And in this very unique situation we find ourselves in, you stepping outside your house is putting my life at risk right now. That's just how this operates. Your right to swing your fist, like the right that you have to swing your fist as much as you want, anywhere you want, that right ends right here. You can't swing it right here. So you can feel free to swing your fist as much as you want, anywhere you want, except here. And except anyone else's knows. You have the right to do whatever you want, until it infringes on my rights. You can do whatever you want until it hurts other people. That's generally the idea. That's the constitutional idea. That's what the, the founding fathers laid out. Philosophically, your right to swing your fist ends at the tip of my nose. That's the same. And what he's doing here is swinging his fist wildly. Well, guess what? You are endangering my life and everyone else's by holding your church services. You do not have the right to do that. My right to life comes above your right to religious freedom. If your religious beliefs told you to murder somebody, you would not be allowed to exercise your religious freedom. Human sacrifice is forbidden in the U.S., whether it's a religious belief or not. This isn't where this guy's story ends. There's more to this. There's an article on the Friendly Atheist website, friendlyatheist.com. It was written by Hemant Mehta. The title is, 130 Christians still went to death cult leader Tony Spell's church on Sunday. And naturally, death cult caught my eye when I read that in the title. So let's give this article a read and see what it says. This is about the same guy, Tony Spell. 
You'd have to be an idiot to attend in-person church services right now, or to go anywhere that's both crowded and not necessary in the midst of a pandemic. You'd have to be a downright moron to attend a church where COVID-19 has already taken the life of one parishioner and infected the pastor's lawyer. And those are only the cases we know about. And yet, about 130 people still visited Louisiana's Life Tabernacle Church yesterday, where Pastor Tony Spell has been defying all social distancing advice in order to spread the virus in the name of Jesus. Somehow that's actually good news, since roughly four times as many went to the church over Easter weekend, which means there's been a remarkable decline in attendance. That is really good news, uh, that it was only 130, because this mega church is giant. From my understanding, they usually get between 500 and 1,000 attendees on average. The fact that it's only 130 is a really good sign. Sometimes I forget just how big these numbers are, too. Like, I've been to some Jehovah's Witness conventions. Like, they hold three conventions every year. Usually they hold the circuit assembly, the district assembly, and the special day assembly. Not necessarily in that order. So this the special day assembly, I think, is held on Sundays, and it's usually one day. This information may be out of date, because this is from, like, when I was in the religion. But usually the special day assembly is one day long on Sunday, and it's, like, eight hours from, like, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. or something like that. And they'll do baptisms and things like that. It, it is once a year. And then there's another one that's once a year called the circuit assembly. So the special assembly will get everybody from one little area, probably 10 congregations or 20 congregations or something like that, depending on how big they are. And they'll usually have a population of about 500 people, maybe 1,000. The circuit assembly will take everybody from a circuit, which is a bigger area. It's more congregations. And they'll usually have between 1,000 and 3,000 people. It's two days long, Saturday and Sunday, about eight hours each day. And they'll do baptisms and things like that also. The third annual convention Jehovah's Witnesses have is called the District Assembly, and it's basically the tri-state area. Every Jehovah's Witness within a tri-state area gets together in a big old arena, and it's usually between 3,000 and 10,000 people, sometimes bigger, sometimes smaller. I think mine was about 10,000 people. But that should put it into perspective for any ex-Jehovah's Witnesses listening to this. This megachurch, this guy's megachurch, Tony Spells, Life Tabernacle Church, on average gets 500 to 1,000 people every week. That's friggin' huge. That is massive. That's like a special day assembly every week. That is nuts. And it was only 130 people this time. That was like the size of my congregation when I was at Jehovah's Witness. That's a, that's a step in the right direction. But the fact that the guy is still bringing people to the church is a fucking joke. Anyway, let's continue reading here. This is a quote from The Advocate. Attendance at a central church headed by a pastor who has defied Louisiana's attempts to restrict crowd size appears to be shrinking from recent weeks, police said Sunday. Sunday's service at Life Tabernacle Church attracted about 130 people, down from nearly 500 who attended last week's Easter services, according to police who've been counting the heads of people entering the church for services and forwarding their reports to the district attorney's office. Good. Glad they're doing that. 
Naturally, Tony Spell disputes these numbers. Oh, I bet. The cops are liars, he told the advocate Sunday when reached by phone. Second, never trust a cop after this pandemic. This guy is a dangerous moron. I hope he sits in prison for the rest of his life for the fucked up things he's done. Everyone else is lying, says the guy downplaying the most obvious pandemic ever. We know why Spell wants to hold in-person church services. It's the easiest way for him to make money. Yeah, there's no collection plate at people's houses. That's why. Though that hasn't stopped him from urging people to send him their $1,200 stimulus checks. Doesn't surprise me either. I guess it'll take more deaths within his congregation for people to realize they belong to a death cult. The irony here is that I'm rooting for their health. It's their pastor who doesn't seem to care if anyone dies. 100% agree with Hemant Mehta on that. I'm rooting for everyone's health. I don't want anybody to die. Even the most extreme vile people, I don't want them dead. I don't want anybody dead. Human life is not renewable. It's a non-renewable resource. The more people we lose to this, the more depressing it is. The more heartbreaking it is. I want fewer people to suffer from this. As few people as possible. Let's take another short break. When we come back, we're going to take a look at televangelist Pat Robertson and his beef with Ken Ham. So give us 30 seconds and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media. Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. Before we actually get into the beef between Pat Robertson and Ken Ham, I wanted to take a look at Pat Robertson's explanation for what is causing COVID-19. So let's give this a read and see what it says. This is entitled, Pat Robertson Blames COVID-19 on Gays, Abortion, and Those Who Are Anti-Israel. This is by Hammond Mehta on the Friendly Atheist website. During today's episode of The 700 Club, televangelist Pat Robertson went full Christian bigot when he blamed COVID-19 on homosexuality. The disease isn't sexually transmitted, nor does it disproportionately affect people based on their sexual orientation. So that's a really interesting conclusion he's come to. Of course, he didn't say the virus appeared because of gay people. He used the more standard evangelical excuse that God is punishing us for our sins, like gay rights and abortion and being anti-Israel, which is a really interesting conclusion to come to. Robertson was prompted by a question about COVID-19 that said, how can God heal our land and forgive the sins when abortion and same-sex marriage are laws and many people are anti-Israel? Doesn't this prevent his healing and forgiveness? His response? Absolutely. The whole anti-Israel thing is really fascinating to me. Before we continue on, there's this whole belief about the promised land. There's a, there's a Bible prophecy about the end coming after Israel is reestablished as a state, or something to that effect. And it was reestablished as a state, I believe in 1947. Christians use that fact that it was reestablished as a state to prove that the Bible is real. And they talk about the Israeli state as the Holy Land, God's chosen people, so on and so forth. 
and they want to protect Israel as much as possible because if it loses statehood, then it means the prophecy wasn't fulfilled. It was complete bullshit, which it is. The thing that they're not telling you is that they believe that Israel and the people in it are going to be brutally killed by God in Armageddon. They didn't accept Jesus, and they were wrong, and they're going to be murdered for it. That's pretty much the, the belief system of extremist evangelical Christians like Pat Robertson. So he wants people to be pro-Israel to maintain the idea that the prophecy was fulfilled. He wants Israel to be destroyed by God and Armageddon, not by people, to maintain the prophecy, pretty much. That's the idea behind it. So him saying COVID-19 is the result of people being anti-Israel, um, it's just a big bullshit facade that's designed to... Uh, protect his Bible prophecies. He does not give a shit about Israel in the end or the people there. There's a silver lining behind every mushroom cloud with people like Pat Robertson. He would throw a party if Armageddon started and Israel was destroyed by God. He doesn't give a shit about Israel or the people there. He gives a shit about that prophecy being true. So let's give this a read and see what Pat Robertson said. This is a quote from Pat Robertson. You know, the Bible says, turn from their wicked ways. They will turn from their wicked ways. And part of what we've done is turn. We are not turning when we have done terrible things. We have broken the covenant that God made with mankind. We have violated his covenant. We have taken the life of the innocent, slaughtered them by the tens of millions, children made in the image of God, and we have abused the poor. I mean, we've allowed this terrible plague to spread throughout our society, and it's a small wonder God would hold us guilty. But the answer is, you know, you confess your sins and forsake them. Then he heals the land. It's not before. You are right. I'm super confused. This is like a nonsensical thing for him to say. Let me just listen to the video. This is John Pat, who says, Pat, last week you were talking about COVID-19. You quoted Chronicles 7.14. How can God heal our land and forgive the sins when abortion and same-sex marriage are laws and many people are anti-Israel? Doesn't this prevent his healing and forgiveness? Um, you know, I think you put your finger on something very important. You know, the Bible says it's turned from their wicked ways. It didn't get forgiven. They will turn from their wicked ways. And part of what we've done is turn we, we are not turning. We have done terrible things. We have broken the covenant that God made with the mankind. We have violated his covenant. We have taken the life of the innocent, slaughtered them by the tens of millions, children made in the image of God. And we have uh, abused the poor. I mean, we've allowed this uh, terrible plague to spread throughout our society. And it's small wonder God would hold us guilty. But the answer is, you know, you, you confess your sins and forsake them. Then he heals the land. It's not before. You're right. Okay. Okay. Um, that largely was just nonsensical. But it, it made a little bit more sense when it was spoken. It's like when Donald Trump says something, you can kind of follow it a little bit for the most part. But when it's written down, what he said, like when it's a transcript, it, it's completely 
just way the fuck out there. Like, you have no idea what he's even talking about. You can't make sense of it at all. So, anyway, basically, he's saying it's because we've abused the poor, which is an extremely fascinating position for Pat to take. It's because of abortion, and it's because uh, of homosexuality. That's what I'm picking up from this. So, let's continue reading. Somehow... His entire explanation of who's to blame for the spread of the virus ignored the Republican Party's utterly incompetent anti-science response to the pandemic. Robertson has long harbored anti-LGBTQ sentiments and once lamented the organized thrust of gay people who stick it to the Christians. Okay, that's a really weird analogy to use for this subject. (laughs) Maybe Pat Robertson should have picked a different analogy for it. Yeah, you know what? I like that analogy. Maybe you should stick with it. (laughs) The organized thrust of gay people who stick it to the Christians. Gay people are just trying to live their lives and just do their thing and be who they are. And Christians are so bent out of shape and depressed and hurt that these people want to live their lives and not have somebody, like, down their throat about it. Why can't Christians just leave people alone and and let them live their lives? I'll tell you what, I will leave you alone as long as you're not affecting my life, and you leave me alone. Why can't we just live and let live? I don't understand. It completely blows my mind how Christians have this extreme persecution complex when they aren't allowed to stand on somebody's face they feel like they're being oppressed it's like if they can't force their religion down somebody's throat by praying in school or something then they're being oppressed that's the mindset here it kills me so ken ham and pat robertson have had a conflict they've had a battle with each other the title of this article is ken ham responds to pat robertson trashing creationism you need to retire quote unquote this is by the friendly atheist hemant meta friendlyatheist.com let's give this article a read and see what it says earlier this week televangelist pat robertson said the world was not created in six 24-hour days something he's said a number of times in the past not that he deserves credit for stating the obvious Robertson attempted to reconcile what the Bible says with science by saying God could have created everything in six universal days, quote-unquote, whatever that's supposed to mean. I'll actually tell you what that means. Uh, Hemant Mehta probably knows this, but just for the audience who may be unaware of this, it's something called gap theory. Gap theory is the idea that we don't actually know how long a day is You know what, let me just pull it up real quick. Hang on. Let me just pull up Genesis 1-1, and we'll just take a quick gander here. So this is Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky. And there was evening, there was morning, the second day. So it goes through this process of creating things 
And then we've got day five, where God created living creatures, birds that fly above the earth. And then day six, he created man and livestock and wild animals and so on and so forth. Uh, And then on the seventh day, God rested famously, supposedly. Gap theory, which is what Pat Robertson is kind of putting forward here, is basically the idea that we don't know how long these days were. They could have been a million years each or a billion years each. It could have been any length of time because we don't know what a day is to God. In fact, God could still be on day seven and resting, like for all we know. That's the idea behind it. If you go with gap theory, then it allows you to kind of accept evolution tentatively within the bounds of your religion. You can accept scientific knowledge without having to twist it into a pretzel to make it fit your religion if you subscribe to gap theory for the most part but then you've got to twist your religion into a pretzel to fit with science at that point because god created light on day one but plants weren't created until day three So we had plants on day three, and then on day four, he created two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. So the sun and the moon basically is what he created on day four. So if a day is an unknown length of time, if a day is like a million years, like Pat Robertson is kind of saying here, then that means plants existed like a million years before the sun existed, and that just leads to absurdity. So be my guest and ascribe to this idea of gap theory so that you can accept science. If that's the pretzel you're going to need to twist it into, then twist away. But your religion is going to be a little bit nonsensical if you do that. If you would take a suggestion from me, If you're a creationist and you believe that Genesis is telling a literal story, take a suggestion from me. When the book of Genesis was written long and long ago, there were different genres of books back then than we have now. For example, nowadays we have comedy, the comedy genre. We have the drama genre. We have romance novels and things like that. Back then, they had apocalyptic genre, and uh, there's another one that Genesis falls into. It was never meant to be taken as a real literal story. Genesis wasn't. It wasn't a literal style of writing. It was a story that was being told. Similar to the story of Gilgamesh, it was never written to be a real, literal event that actually really literally took place. None of this was written with that in mind, or some of it may have been, but Genesis was not. That's not what this was all about. So if you're a creationist, take my advice here. Read it as it was actually written, as a story, not literal. Anyway, let's continue on reading what what happened between Ken Ham and what's his name? Pat Robertson. So Pat Robertson subscribes to gap theory. I think it's obnoxious. Just read it as 
the story that it is, not literally. Apparently, that angered creationist Ken Ham, who thinks reality is always out to persecute Christians like him. He went after Robertson in a tweet storm earlier today. So this is Ken Ham tweeting. It says, So Pat Robertson's at 700 Club said, There's no way under heaven that this earth that we live in could have taken place in 6,000 years. It couldn't have possibly done it. But Pat, the fact is, there's no way under heaven that what you say is correct because you dot 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 because you're telling God he got it wrong in his word. And the only Bible passage you mentioned you took out of context. Second Peter 3 8. With the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day is in the context of the second coming, explaining God is outside of time. God, it's so fascinating to like watch two creationists or two extremist Christians go at it. Apparently, I guess Pat Robertson isn't a is a isn't a young earth creationist, although I think he is a creationist. Jehovah's Witnesses are old earth creationists. There's a distinct difference. This has zero to do with the days of creation. And Pat, you didn't use Genesis and what God actually states and discuss the meaning of the Hebrew word for day in the context in Genesis 1. Instead, you accept the pagan religion of millions of years and add that to God's word, thus undermining the authority of the word of God. You are putting a stumbling block before people in regard to them taking God's word seriously. You need to retire, Pat, and let people who actually do believe God's word in Genesis and understand it answer these questions. And most of what you said doesn't make sense anyway in regard to the question asked. Oh, and the sun is not a planet. It's a star. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Jeremiah 23.1. Oh my God! That is so much Christian bullshit. Ugh, I, I could barely get through that. I'm going to have to read that a few times to, to really process what was being said here. This is completely absurd. So those were the, those were the tweets from Ken Ham. Here's uh, what Hemant Mehta says about it. My favorite line, you need to retire, Pat, and let people who actually do believe God's word in Genesis and understand it answer these questions. And most of what you said doesn't make sense anyway in regard to the question asked. Oh, and the sun is not a planet. It's a star. Right, because that's the problem with Robertson. He's not sufficiently Christian, but Ken Ham totally is. It's also hilarious that Ken Ham goes after Robertson for saying the sun is a planet. Ham is right, of course, but him acting like a science expert is like Donald Trump telling people that honesty matters. Ham and Robertson have no business engaging in a battle of the brains. This isn't the first time Ham has gone after Robertson. Last year, he invited the TV host to Ark Encounter after Robertson made a similar comment about creation. In 2012, Ham also called Robertson compromising, adding that we don't need enemies from within the church when we have such destructive teaching within the church. They do not like each other, apparently. I talked about this on Twitter recently myself, but people sometimes ask the question, is Ken Ham smart but evil? Or is he just stupid as dog shit? I asked that question about a number of different people, not just Ken Ham. I asked myself these questions, like, is Ken Ham really smart but really evil, or is he stupid as dog shit? And I think the answer that I've come up with, I mean, there's no way of really knowing if he's really as stupid as he says and has bad intentions, or if he's just an idiot. 
There's no way of knowing. But my assessment is, I think Ken Ham is just an idiot. I think he's just stupid as dog shit, honestly. Kent Hovind, on the other hand, I think he's really smart, but fucking evil. Donald Trump, I think he's stupid as dog shit. Jim Jones, the guy who had his people drink the flavor aid with the cyanide, you know, the People's Temple guy, I think he was really smart, but evil. I think the cult leader, Doe, from the Heaven's Gate cult, I think he was really smart, but accidentally evil. I don't think that he intentionally set out to do really evil things. I think that he believed he was doing the right thing, even though he was completely wrong and completely delusional. I think that he was still very smart, surprisingly. So I don't know. Ken Ham is an endless treasure trove of stupidity for me. Just the things that he says are completely absurd. Part of me feels really bad for the guy that the things that he says are so embarrassing for him. He's built his entire life on a lie, and it's really depressing. Uh, as a quick side note, I do think that he is evil either way. Smart or stupid or what doesn't really matter. I think he's an evil sack of shit. Let's read some uh, super chats because I've got a whole bunch of them tonight. Zolfner, I'm mad at you. Oh, I'm sorry. Why are you mad at me? That's sad. Sad, as Trump would say. That's sad. Kep1134. Voice 2 did nothing wrong. That's a lie. They did, and you know they did. You're just covering up for them. Zolfner, Trump 2020, most definitely not. Uh, Trump is one of those people I believe to be stupid as dog shit, so. I also believe him to be a cult leader. If you think about it in that context, Zolfner, maybe that'll change your mind. Think about the control that he has over some groups of people. Information control, thought control, emotional control. Think about that in that context with Trump. Maybe it will lead you to change your mind about having him as a leader. You may like the guy, you may like what he does, you may like his policies or whatever else, but he has a disturbing level of control over some people. And for that reason, I would vote for a sack of potatoes before I voted for Trump. I, I don't say that for just anybody. I would abstain in some cases. It is, I'm not vote blue no matter who. I don't like Biden. I would not be voting for Biden if it wasn't Biden versus Trump, but it is. So I'm voting Biden much to my dismay. If I pay you $100, will you cuss me out? <laughs> I don't really cuss anybody out. Uh, you don't have to give me a hundred bucks. I don't like, generally don't like spreading hate. Leah Bryant, what is the best way I can fight against the patriarchy of the NIFB? I'm an ex-NIFB and a feminist and trying to mobilize feminists against the NIFB. I think fighting the patriarchal structure of a cult may be an effort that I'm trying to think about how how to word this. I think instead of fighting the patriarchal structure of this cult, it would be more constructive to fight the cult as a whole instead of just addressing pieces of it. Because you and I, Leah Bryant, you and I have an issue with the NIFB. We have issues with the way they treat women, with the way they treat gay people, the way they treat any kind of minority. Generally speaking, if you're not white and male and adult, you're treated as a second-class citizen in the NIFB. So personally, when I address the NIFB, I'm not going to try to break 
the societal structure of men running things. I'm going to try to break the structure of the religion as a whole. I don't like the fact that men run things in the patriarchal sense that you're talking about. I think that's bullshit, but we have absolutely no hope of fixing that. The entire religion needs to go away. So instead of fighting against their patriarchal system, I'm going to fight against the religion as a whole. Thank you for the super chat. Inter interesting question. Zolfner, Owen has a tiny big toe. How did you know that? <laughs> Thanks, Zolfner. Still mad at you, Trump 2020. Forget Pelosi. I don't really like Pelosi either. I think Pelosi is so out of touch with reality. It's embarrassing. And I would love to see anybody but Pelosi, excluding Trump. I, I don't want Pelosi as president. I don't want Trump as president. I don't want Biden as president, but it looks like Biden is pretty much our only option right now. So if you don't want Trump, that is. If you don't want a cult leader as president, then you have to vote Biden, pretty much. That's the situation we find ourselves in right now. Uh, the Gaytheist, United Church of Christ is not the same as Church of Christ. Thank you. I appreciated the super chat on that. Thanks for clarifying. I will add something in later so that I can clarify that. We have a little faith. You should do a bite model analysis of Doc Antle. Uh, I, I feel like I've heard that name. I, I should look into it a little bit more. I appreciate the super chat. Zolfner, still mad at you. I've never seen Owen in pants. He's naked. Nervardia, my supplier of ancient Jehovah's Witness propaganda, 90 years old, is offering to give me more. I'm pretty excited to see what they'll come up with. That is the shit. That's really cool. I have seen some of that on Twitter, and it's, it is pretty awesome. I'd love to get my hands on some of that stuff one day. You probably don't even know what visible means. Probably not. Maybe I don't know what visible means. <laughs> That was in reference to, um, I was reading from that article about Jehovah's Witnesses where they claim to be the most visible religion. Whatever the fuck that means. I guess I don't know what that means. Eat a pickle, you expired prophylactic. That's an odd thing to be, an expired prophylactic. $20 for the Gaytheist. Oh, thank you. I bet the Gaytheist appreciated that too. I'm still mad at you. That was for the Gaytheist. Welcome back. I'm mad at you still for some reason. <laughs> okay, I'll take your anger and your hate. That's okay with me. I hope you sit in P blocked for voting blue. P what? I'm not sure what the P means. Uh, we have little faith. Pat Robertson looks like a deflated soccer ball. Oh yeah, that's not all he looks like. Guy is a piece of work. I'm not a fan of Jimmy, says Zolfner. Oh, interesting. I wonder why that is. Why aren't you a fan of Jimmy? I think he's a pretty cool guy. I like him. He's one of my best friends. You know how to read, Owen, like Biden can? I do know how to read. I, I think I've proven that pretty well tonight. Zolfner, I just dropped my water and my vodka and I'm still here because I'm superior and everything is a lie. Also, Trump Zolfner 2020. I don't think Trump would pick you as a running mate. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe he would. Maybe secretly you're Mike Pence. Maybe this is Mike Pence on the other end here. And I'm talking to Mike Pence and, and Pence is actually super chatting me right now in bed watching YouTube live streams telling me that I suck. That's actually believable, except for the knowing who I am part. That's not as believable. Uh, let's see. I meet to say F you to feel better. Okay, that works. F you. Dia duet cons ata tu. feel like that's another language that I don't understand. Nervardia, being smart and being evil aren't mutually exclusive. That's true. What I was referring to pretty much is speaking to their motives, which you can't really do. You don't know people's motives. In fact, it's a logical fallacy to attribute motives to people. It's called appeal to motives. So it's kind of an off the record thing. I'm not using it as an argument against them or anything. I'm just kind of speculating, like, do I think these people are evil and know what they're doing? 
or do I think it's unintentional stupidity? And for the most part, I think Ken Ham is an evil sack of garbage. But I think it, I don't know that he's doing it intentionally. I think he's just inadvertently evil and also stupid as dog shit. Trump will win, wanna bet? No, I don't, because I think you may be right. He may very well win. And that that's very concerning to me. Oh my God, your Pelosi comment was the first bit of religious related thing I've heard you say that wasn't dumb. I don't like Pelosi. I don't like any of them. I think the Democratic Party is full of weasels and bullshit. It's really, really disappointing. I don't like the two-party system that we have in the U.S. It really fucking bothers me a lot. But here are, here we are. I'm stuck. I want to move to Canada, like, desperately. Jimmy is why I'm mad at you. Oh, what did Jimmy do that made you mad at me? That's weird. Mike Pence is in the closet. I've actually heard people say that they think that Mike Pence may be gay or LGBT or something. Mike 34 dog, first supercharged. I love your videos. Thank you. Uh, that's awesome. Oh, super chat, I imagine. First super chat. I love your videos. Well, thank you for watching my videos. I'm glad that you like them. I'm glad you get some benefit out of them. And thanks for the super chat. I really appreciate that. And thank you, Zolfner, for sending me all kinds of hate. I appreciate that too. Uh, thanks, Nervardia, for the super chats. We have little faith. The Gatheist, Leah Bryant, thank you for the super chat. Really glad you got out of the NIFB. And Kep1134, again, thank you for the super chat to all of you. Anyway, tell you what, that's where I'm going to end it for the night. I appreciate you guys coming on and giving this a listen, and I will talk to you next week. If you like what I do and you want to make sure I can continue to do it, you can support me in a few ways. First, you can support me on Patreon. That's probably the best way. But if you want to get something back for your support, you can check out my Teespring. I sell all kinds of shirts and stickers and stuff on there. Second, you can support me by checking out my Etsy store. I sell 3D printed stands for every system from the original Nintendo to the Xbox One. And finally, if you want to support me in other ways, you can check me out on my other channels. I have the podcast channel, which is where I talk about whatever's on my mind. Politics, social issues issues, whatever. You can also find it everywhere podcasts can be found. Or you can check out the videos on my main channel where I focus on destructive cults. As it is with most channels these days, I rely on the support of viewers like you to keep my channel alive, so sharing my work is extremely helpful. Anyways, check me out in all those places if you haven't already. Thanks for listening, guys.